Bereavement Room is a podcast for our community, faith and culture, featuring representative voices from across the UK. And I am your host, Kolsima Ali. Hello, my name's Shireen Kerr and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hi, I'm James Boston and you're listening to the Bereavement Room podcast. Hello, I'm Bafo Ababio and you're listening to Bereavement Room podcast. Hi, I'm Jameel Amaraji, and you listen to Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi, I'm Ben Akwa, and you're listening to Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi, I'm John Almir, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi, I'm Chelsea Coombson, and you're listening to the Bereavement Room Podcast. Hello, my name is Laura Marvin, and you are listening to the Bereavement Room Podcast. Hi, folks. Welcome back to Bereavement Room Podcast. Today marks one year of bereavement room. Where has the time gone? It's, you know, if I'm being honest, I feel like it hasn't been one year. It feels like a million years. Um, So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, But all I can say is that I feel very blessed to be in this seat and to have facilitated a conversation that is, you know, often goes unspoken and I feel like so much change and impact has happened during you know this past year that has passed us by so so quickly and it's exciting because it's nice to bring back former guests I keep in touch with so many of my former guests you know some I speak to every day others I I speak to every other day or or once a month so it's just been really really nice to stay in contact and just see how everyone's been progressing because a lot has happened in the in the past year some people have got a new job some people have moved some people have gotten new opportunities are thriving in their businesses um since they came here and walked through the room took a seat to chat to me about something that is deeply personal to them but something that often goes unspoken i've loved every minute of being on br and it just feels really special that we've reached this milestone um, because we are in a, a series two and I am also pleased to say that although we are nearing the end of series two there will be a season three of Bereavement Room podcast at some point in 2021 let me catch my breath in the new year but at some point next year there will be a season three and that's because I created this community fundraiser and you all supported it Uh, so many of you some of my friends near and far former guests and listeners donated and shared the community fundraiser and I'm so grateful to you because you've helped me make a season three happen you know whilst I apply for applications and grants for funding on the podcast I often get declined it's just really nice that I can start a campaign to get some support and there you are just championing me and rallying around and supporting the growth of BR so thank you so much well without further ado I'm not hosting today's episode. Today's episode is going to be hosted by former guests from Series 1, Lydia Okoble and Nikwat Marwat. Lydia is going to kick start birthday celebrations and 
Nick Watt is going to close the birthday celebrations in the second half. As always, thank you so much for listening. Um, so, hello everyone and welcome to the Bereavement Room. Um, I'm Lydia Ricoble and I'm here as a guest host interviewing uh, the best person ever, Kelsey Ali, <laughs> who kind of created um, this beautiful, amazing space um, called the Bereavement Room. Um, and today we are here celebrating a year of this um, podcast, which is amazing. Kalsima, how does it feel? Hey, Lydia. Thanks so much for a warm welcome. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll be honest, just so everyone knows, just before we kind of uh, logged on, I did have a little bit of a cry. Yeah. Um, happy tears and sad tears mm-hmm. that we've reached a one-year milestone. Um but obviously everyone came together under sad circumstances. Mm. But in a way that was really beautiful because people openly reflected on their experience, uh, like like yourself, when, when you appeared in Series 1 to talk about your dad. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I've got a lot of mixed feelings. There's so many achievements and, and things that I'm proud of that I think everyone else is also proud of, I hope. And But, yeah, you can't help but feel a, a tinge of sadness obviously mm. be- because of the nature of what we talk about but I think it's it's great that we did this and we created this and yeah one year of bereavement room happy birthday yeah. everyone yeah happy birthday <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I just want to say a massive thank you to you for giving me the space to um to to speak I mean kind of as you said I was in season one and I did an episode uh, where I talked about losing my dad when I was 16 um and it was super unexpected just to give everyone a bit of an update it was really unexpected and um it wasn't something that i really talked about but being part of the bereavement room and just talking to you calcium was super healing and i think i said this to you but um a couple months ago but it was a bit of a catalyst for me in terms of talking about my emotions a bit more and um, being open about losing my dad because I didn't really tell people um, and it wasn't that I was comfortable was uncomfortable talking about losing my dad but it was just um, and I'm sure you can probably relate it's just a, a weird thing to tell people you know mm-hmm. it's like when do you, where do you fit it into the conversation yeah. um, and so doing the bereavement room was really um, for me a great chance to just to be open and put it out there it was on social media which is like a scary world and very 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 scary (laughs) judgmental place but I was great I was lucky that so many people were like open to hearing my story and um, as a result I've like I'm a I listened to all of the podcasts and have really learned a lot about about bereavement um, from people in the community. So thank you, Kelsima, for giving me that space. Um, but yeah, like, how does it feel for you? Uh, just a year, a year on. You kind of touched on it, but what did it feel like? Obviously, now you're in the interview seat, but what did it feel like interviewing all of those people over a year? Mm. Um. Well, great question. I, you know, life for me at that point, I was at like a good place in my life, I suppose, where I felt I could host this podcast in Mm. a way that I wouldn't make it too much about my experiences because it was 10 years since my mum had died. So I felt ready I could do it. It had been about two and a half years since my brother. And I just thought, you know, it came at a time where it just needed to happen 
I'd had a poor experience with a mainstream charity that I just didn't think understood death and grief in various communities and I think for me just creating this space like you know I was on such a high in the first seven episodes because everyone was talking about it people were sharing it we were getting a lot of downloads but I think like come January when my dad got ill that bit was hard uh, because he was ill and then he died unexpectedly as most people that listen to this podcast know and I just like I think it's hard to put it into words. Like one yeah. of the li- listeners wrote to me and she said, you know, I love your podcast. I can't believe something like this exists. I think it's great. But when I heard that your dad died, I'm going to be honest, I fell off. Like I fell off the listening because I couldn't believe it. And really? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I read that letter out in one of my episodes in series one. And she was just like, I hope you understand. Sometimes it can get a bit heavy and like, I know a lot of people fell off after that because they were just like, what the hell? And obviously I'd gone on a break. So like, it has been a roller coaster. Doing this podcast to answer your question, it has been a bit of a roller coaster of unexpected things happening. But at the same time, I don't know. It's like the universe was saying this unexpected thing will happen and you're going to create this space Mm. and it's going to bring a lot of people together and we're all going to openly reflect in ways that maybe we wouldn't usually do in our daily life. Like you said, how do you say that your dad has died? How do you bring that into a conversation? Mm. And uh, we we managed to do that, you know, in, in the room here in bereavement room and so many people from across the diaspora, which I just Definitely. think it <laughs> makes it so special, right? <laughs> 100%. It's such a lovely thing, honestly. <laughs> You've done a great thing. I think you should be so proud of yourself. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I, <laughs> I hope all of you lot are as well, because I think when I interviewed <clears throat> you all, it was like, wow, I was like in awe of how artic- you know how you articulated your experiences. Um, and obviously me being the stranger, that was another thing that I felt be, you know, proud of that, um, you all opened up to me, not knowing who I am really, you don't know me from Adam. (laughs) Um, so that was nice. And I just felt like that trust is there and we have kind of created a little family. Mm, Definitely can definitely resonate with that. Thank you. Um, so as you gave your answer, you kind of touched on how it's been for other people but I'd love to hear a bit more about you um and personally and if if you're comfortable talking about it because you mentioned your mum your brother and and now your dad and I'm I'm so sorry for your loss how has has the bereavement room been a healing space for you like how has it helped you come to terms with that loss um it's definitely something that I'm still processing and When I sat in this host seat before my dad died, I was definitely mm. a different person. Okay. And, I know, and I know that's weird to say because I'd already been bereaved. So I know what it means to grieve, right? But that just happened out of nowhere. And I think that it, you know, I have to be honest. Um, yes, it has been healing to speak to everyone. You know, I had even some of my own friends come on like Linda and... Siddharth and Adrian that came on and held my hand a little bit through that through that process whilst telling their own stories and then all of you guys where I've made friends with so many people you Nick Watt 
I've met, you know, an Andrea as well, um, mm. who's just amazing, who does amazing things. It's just been really nice to connect. And yeah, it has been healing in the sense that you can just be really vulnerable mm. and say say everything that you want to say and not hold back and know mm -hmm. that it feels safe mm. that you feel witnessed and seen because I never experienced that anywhere else if I'm honest yeah you know I I've tried lots of therapy services for everyone that listens to the podcast that they mm -hmm. I've got a lot to say about therapy and I think <laughs> if you're going to get access to something like that you need to feel seen and you need to feel witnessed and 100%. and who your therapist is is so important and I feel like I felt less alone after doing this podcast and speaking to you all because I realized that I wasn't the only one even though when I went to these mainstream charities I did feel like the only one mm. but then I realized okay you just need to create your own space because they're not going to do it. They don't understand it. And you've just got to find a way to bring people together. So so in that way, for me, it was like for me personally, I felt very empowered. Mm. And it's just nice to have people behind you that can share their own experiences. That obviously grief is an individual thing. We all walk it alone. We, we experience you know grief is universal but it is an individual journey but mm. it it was just great that we could all come together and I feel like I'm like rambling on now but I think for me oh. that <laughs> that was like the best part of it um but I won't lie like mm. I, I said today I did have a little bit of a cry and yeah sometimes I have to take breaks like recently I took a week and a half break and I had to do it because mm people don't realize podcasting is a lot of work I think yeah like, definitely you're editing and oh that's probably the process that I don't enjoy so <laughs> much because you have to teach yourself how to edit and you need to edit well and um you just do need to fine-tune certain things and, and you have to listen back to the conversation which I enjoy listening back listening back to the conversation because when you interview someone and then you leave it for a while and then you listen back to it, you're like, wow, that was such a powerful conversation. Mm. Um, and there is a lot of work, but I have to be honest, like I have to, now, since it's been a year, I realized six months down the line, self-care is so important because you do carry, you know, it's like transference, you do carry mm. people's stories, like, and people's experiences. And you just think, rah, like, they went through so much and how they co coexist and I'm just like oh my gosh you know you have your own stuff but then you hear everyone else's and I'm not gonna lie I, I'll, I'll, I'll end a recording and I'll sit there and I'll just be like mm -hmm. oh my god like I will think about it for a while and mm -hmm. and you do and you think about people and you connect with people and you you know I always hope that everyone's okay after coming on to this podcast and mm -hmm. Yeah, I just, it's been such a mixed bag of emotions. Yeah. Um, and I, I just hope people realise that this isn't just a conversation where we stick, you know, we press record and it happens and we release it. It's it's not work. like that. It's yeah. work. It's a lot of work and there's a lot of love there and there's a lot of sadness and we all have to 
like we all have to put us in this mental space of being very vulnerable yeah, for sure and, uh, and, that, and that's it really that's all I can say I think for me it's been yeah it's been a, a journey mm. I think that's a perfect reminder of you know just to put it out that we're all human and we all need to look after ourselves um in so many ways like you said self-care is so important and um this this space has given people a chance to heal but also people need to remember that this is quite an intense space and people sometimes need to step back from that so thank you for opening up and sharing that um it was really insightful um I just wanted to because you kind of touched on um some of the reflections maybe not so much positive reflections that you've had from the past year but would you like to share some of the positive things you've um experienced as a result of the bereavement and one of the things I'd like to share is that I um obviously this space is for people from BAME backgrounds, so black, Asian, minority, ethnic backgrounds. And for me, it was quite comforting hearing about, as you say, people in the diaspora and the similarities, <laughs> some of the similar similarities in how we grieve or the, the issues we've come across. So I think I remember in my podcast, I talked about um, culture getting in the way of grieving, kind of people not giving that space to grieve because we're expected to just kind of, carry on um that story i definitely heard it in in other people's experiences um so yeah what what's a reflection and achievement for you um as we reflect on the on the past year oh <laughs> that's a really sorry good is question. that a heavy question sorry it's, it's, no, it's a good <laughs> question it's probably uh, one that i need to quickly think about because i don't know I mean, I reflect a lot, but uh, there's there's so much. I think the most positive thing for me is that, uh, yeah, as you say, we do have similarities, mm. and I and I feel like a lot of stuff just comes back to systemic issues and history. Um, but the, on the positive side of things. Um, I think a positive reflection for me is, and it sounds really simple and basic, but it's that power of bringing people together and not necessarily, I mean, if this happened in a mainstream place, let's say bereavement room was being run by a mainstream charity, do mm. we think that it would run the way that it is and operates the way that it is? Mm. It, it is the question. I actually think people would tell me how to do this. And I- be right, I agree actually. <laughs> Do you know? Do you know what I mean? If it was a charity or someone else, I just wonder how much control people would have. For me, the positive thing is I, I think I give enough control to everyone to just be themselves. It's mm. it's not about making it interesting. It's not about making it correct. But for me, that positive thing is that people do come into this room. They are themselves. They are their real, authentic self. And for me, I think that authenticity, that's a really positive thing in the past year, that everyone has been so authentic, just themselves, and and that's what BR is all about. And that can be hard to make. You can't just... That doesn't happen... I don't know if it's just the chemistry or what, but that just happened organically. Yeah, for sure. No, I was just going to say that it did happen organically, and I think because... 
um, because we all kind of came from a relatively similar background in being ethnic minorities or whatever, we would that drew us together. I would say that anyway. Yeah, that's de definitely yeah. what glued us all together because mm. we've all had these experiences of discrimination and mm. or um, where our, we have cultural nuances in our communities uh, as second, third or first generation being in the UK that that we experience on a daily basis that maybe our white counterparts don't see or understand mm -hmm. or, or aren't aware of that we can't always or we don't always talk about openly or or when we do we're not heard mm -hmm. yes super true mm. and uh yeah and I guess for me that's one of them one of the things I reflected on thank you um, you kind of touched on a couple of times uh, mainstream charities and or even mainstream therapy. Um, I'd just like to hear a bit more about about your experience, if you're happy talking about it and kind of how that then led on to you creating this podcast and why you think it's so important to have spaces like the one you've made. Yeah, so um, I've talked about it on and off in series yeah. one. So what happened was that, you know, without naming in names, went to mm -hmm. a mainstream bereavement charity, was doing some training there. And it was quite soon after my brother died. Mm -hmm. And I think, be, you know, identifying as Muslim, of course, when you're in these spaces, you do need to also open your reflect and share your own experience. Mm -hmm. And I guess when you go to a bereavement charity, like a major one, you accept, you expect, well, I kind of expected that it would be normal people would have heard my story before and it wouldn't have been such a big deal and people wouldn't have just like looked at me like I was the alien in the room no. but having to speak about the Muslim experience and certain cultural nuances like for example that I wasn't at my brother's funeral from beginning to end because of patriarchal stuff yeah. that having to talk about that in a mainstream charity they were just like I don't know, they just went on a, on a gender judgment mm -hmm. and a bit of a like a stereotype of what they thought the Muslim community is. But, but it's not really a Muslim thing. It's just a patriarchal thing and an individual family setup mm -hmm. that that they they just couldn't hold the space in the room for me. And they were asking me really judgmental questions and people were just looking at me like horrified because... Oh their funerals are really celebratory and you know involved beginning to end and they don't have any of these cultural nuances everyone in the room was white and <laughs> so I was just like okay I realized very quickly that this isn't a safe environment for me to talk about my stuff mm -hmm. even though I have to and then I was like well screw this I'm gonna yeah. create, I'm gonna create a deaf cafe <laughs> BAME and I know BAME like I want to use that term very loosely because mm. I, don't, I don't always like using it not everyone is not impressed in the same way but I just I needed to attach something to that deaf cafe because mm. so that people knew who that deaf cafe was for mm. and I, and there were no other like ethnic minority deaf cafes that I had come across so I was like right well I'm going to create one and when I did they just kind of looked at me like oh well you're excluding people and I just thought really yeah you're excluding people <laughs> the lady actually said that the trainer and then I just thought how are you working in a mainstream breathing honestly charity? that's so bad mm. the fact they don't understand why you've had to create it is, is the big issue here <laughs> 
Yeah. And I and I just think, well, who comes to you for support then? That was the other question. Who is coming to you for support? What does your client makeup look like? Uh, how many communities are you reaching because the way i see it the people that are doing the healing here are white white counterparts not mm. not everyone else and their reach for bame is very very small and i just force forget it i'm just going to do my own thing because i know that it's needed and it's necessary and so so i did but obviously i had other experiences where i've had therapists yeah where i've asked can i please have a black or asian counselor like after my dad died i was like please please give me a black or asian counselor if you can like Mm. if that's just something that you can look into on the employee assistance program because that is something where they just allocate you to who's available yeah but having used eap before um i know that it hasn't worked for me okay and well, I got laughed down on the phone. I think I talked about it when I began this series, but the lady was just like, no, it doesn't matter if you've got a black or Asian counsellor. It's, you know, this isn't relevant. And then she was like, what's... And then I, then I was thinking, then I was thinking, let me just use a language that they like to use, which is these terms like POC and BAME, that I don't think were created by ethnic minorities to begin with, um, because we all have our individual communities. Like, I identify as Bangladeshi, so... Yeah. So I, I said, oh, okay, what I mean is a BAME cancel. And she was like, well, what's BAME? And I was, <laughs> and I was, Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm just sitting That's there. That's so scary. Isn't it? Isn't it? And these are people that do the assessments on the phone. Yeah. And I was just thinking, who gave you a job? <laughs> like, how did you get your job? And the conversation just went a bit sour, to be honest. And she didn't understand my request and I was like you know I'm just gonna swear I was like fuck this I just put the phone down (laughs) I was was like screw you lot like I just slammed the phone down because I just couldn't I can't cope with it anymore like I think my tolerance levels are really low now and I just hear so much of that in these spaces why do you need a black or Asian counselor and I feel like I have to sit there and explain why I just feel more seen by somebody that is from an ethnic minority background because we are othered all the time and I just it does it personally doesn't work for me I know it's an individual choice and others have said they're okay with a a white female therapist and they're not all bad they're not because I've I've got colleagues that are white female therapists and they're very very great at what they do but for me personally that just the therapy stuff and the mainstream stuff I don't think they understand how to work with various communities they need to bring us into the mainstream as quickly as possible they need to start engaging with us otherwise there's going to be you know there's not there's going to be more bereavement rooms and people are just going to become segregated and do their own thing because they have to there's no choice Mm, yeah yeah if the space isn't there for us we have to create our own um yeah 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 and i i just want to commend you for doing that for because obviously you were going through a lot at this time when you were having these conversations and when people were making you feel small, which is the opposite of what they should have been doing. Um, but you turned it around and you created something so beautiful and so powerful. And I really 
I really hope you're proud of yourself. Like, I, I just want to shout it out. You are amazing. Everyone oh. listening, she is amazing. <laughs> and I really hope that you know that too, because you've done something amazing. Oh, thank you, Lydia. Thanks so much. <laughs> I never have any words. I never have any words. But like, because <laughs> it's hard. But um, I guess this is another thing that comes into it. A lot. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to take compliments and stuff. And mm-hmm. we really do need to lift ourselves up in our own spaces now because it's it's not happening elsewhere. But yeah, thank you so much. No worries. You you deserve it and more and more. Um, so going forward, what do you see for the podcast? That is a big question, but you know, we're in year two, we've had two seasons, uh, series, which is amazing. Um, yeah. What do you see going forward? What would you like to see? What I would like to see is that I think this podcast doesn't get enough credit as it deserves. It's kind of like the film that everyone loves that doesn't win any awards. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's how I'm starting to see it because mm. so you know it does have an international listen we've surpassed 7k downloads the people all over the world listening to this podcast and mm. what I would like to see is a bit more recognition in the mainstream spaces not because I want validation but I think everyone that's come together here deserves you know more opportunities from this to speak about issues I think there needs to be more empowerment with with younger people particularly Mm -hmm. um you know when I was in my 20s no one would have asked me to come on a podcast or a space no one ever did uh you know I'm just a normal average person and in some ways like what I would like to see that we don't always go for these big influencers or these, you know, super celebrity, well-known people that we just, because everyone's got an experience, right? And everyone's got a voice. And mm. what I, I would like to see in these spaces, mainstream spaces, particularly, they do, they just start inviting more, you know, just your... Everyday people. E- everyday people, yes, e- yeah. ex- exactly. Because I feel like there's some sort of strategic move behind these spaces when they do invite people with bigger followings and mm. and I and I just think yeah invite more everyday people and you'll get a real insight into actually what's going on in the world and and how issues impact us so I what I want to see for going forward outside of bereavement room is that these mainstream channels that I know listen to the podcast I know these psychotherapists and counsellors do listen to this podcast that they they learn from it and actually implement something where they start creating more inclusive spaces definitely yeah um but there's so much I want I want out of this podcast I want you know, I really want a season three. I'm campaigning for a season three. Um, I'm hoping that we, we do get that next year because I think we deserve yeah. it. But there are also other things in the pipeline that I can't really talk about just yeah. just yet because they're, they're an idea, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I would like to see that happen next year because this is at the end of Bereavement Room, even if a season three doesn't happen. The end. And I think so many people can learn from this that we did create this very inclusive space. If you look at the makeup of everyone that features on this podcast, it is very, very inclusive. And I try my best to reach as many people as possible. And I want to see more of that happening in other spaces. I want to see more of that 
happening in the mainstream and particularly these South Asian spaces as well. Um, South Asian is a very broad term, but sometimes that narrative is stolen by, I don't know, the Indian and Pakistani narrative. Uh, mm. South Asia is a very, very big place. Um, just like Africa is a very, very big place. And I just think like we, we just need to get as many voices, as much representation as possible. And I want to see more of that because that is also what I care so much about. Absolutely. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm excited to see the future of the bereavement room. Yeah. Um, um, so you, t- you talked about um, potential season three and the future of the bereavement room. What do you think we can do as listeners to help you get there? Um, I realise that we are under, a, you know, a recession is around the corner mm-hmm. and that people are under a lot of stress with furloughs and redundancies you know I there's a lot going on even in my workplace at the moment and it's a stressful time but I think what people can do is just hit that share button yeah if, if you can't donate a fiver that's fine just hit that share button with all your family and friends talk to your family and friends about this podcast mm-hmm. I know that it's a bit of a doom and gloom topic but you know talk about the positive things um mm. if if you need to get people on board with it because there is so so much positive stuff that's come out of br um talk about that and just hit that share button on social media if you have to share it on a weekly basis but i know sometimes people don't you know they don't want to see that they don't want to share it some friends won't engage some of my friends don't engage because you know they're they're not in that part of their life yet and i get that and they don't want to think about that so i i get that so i you know i appreciate that but just if you know talk about it with your colleagues say you know there's this podcast and lots of people from all communities talking about death and just yeah hit that share button because i i don't you know you never know who it's going to reach you never know who else is going to listen to the podcast as well and then be like yeah i'll donate something but also because i have other ideas coming up next year um there's more opportunity for guests and maybe even listeners to get involved write letters to me write dms to me like you do mm-hmm. i will i will read them out on the podcast all of that makes a huge difference the other thing that makes a huge difference is if you tap the star rating in apple podcast app if that's where you listen to the podcast and the reason that i'm asking for that is because it means that people find the podcast and they find the mm-hmm. conversation so yeah for me to get to a season three all of that stuff needs to happen and most of it is just being technical and social media savvy and having open conversations within mm-hmm. your within your own environment with people that may not know about this podcast. So yeah, I think that's probably the best that we can do, but you know, fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed for sure. Um, I'll definitely be sharing more and getting the message out there because I know that even in me sharing my um, my episode a friend of mine who was on it recently Laura uh, she decided to also be a guest and she found it really healing too so that in itself was an impact and um, yeah so guys definitely share tell your friends tell your family it's tweet about it Instagram Facebook it's all over just get get the message out there because this is an incredibly important space and it deserves the love it deserves love and outreach um so yeah definitely everyone do what Kalstima said (laughs) thank you and Lydia thanks so much for hosting today I really appreciate it um you know and I'm so happy that 
this having this space helped and also for Laura as well who was a recent mm. guest mm. Um, Laura's episode was the most downloaded episode in series two and, oh, amazing yeah and um, and I think she was quite surprised to hear that as well but <laughs> it just goes to show that so many people resonate with your experiences and they do care even if you don't directly hear from them Absolutely. don't uh, don't underestimate that so yeah a massive thank you to you I really really am grateful for you hosting one year of bereavement um so before we close um, we're going to do the gratefulness challenge which oh, yeah. is such a beautiful thing um i really love it so thank you for creating it um but i'm going to ask you first what are you grateful for i am grateful for gosh there's so much so much just this opportunity to sit down and celebrate one year of bereavement room which I never thought would mm -hmm. happen I'm really grateful for that for you to come back as well I think it's a, a really great thing when guests from the previous series want to come back and and join in the conversation I think that's really important to keep it going because you're so much you know you're so much part of this podcast you know we are like a little family as I said earlier um that, that's definitely how I see it and I'm 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 grateful for that togetherness mm -hmm. um and just yeah for life I think life is really short it's depressingly short and mm. I'm grateful for the fact that we you know alongside all the fluffy conversations about music or Netflix or whatever <laughs> We can have real conversations too, and that very much happens on this platform. There, we, none of us are mincing our words, and I'm just so grateful for that authenticity and just mm -hmm. sheer openness. It's it's been a real privilege, a real, real privilege, sitting in that host seat and just being with you all. So yeah, that's what I'm grateful for. Oh, that's that's really lovely. Thank you for that. And it's been a privilege to be on the other side and to and it's been a privilege to do this as well. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the things I'm grateful for, for having this opportunity to speak to you, to someone who has really helped me. Um, and I really hope you know how much you've helped me and how much um how much how great this space has been for me in my healing journey um so I'm grateful for that for the bereavement room for you because you're amazing as I said earlier she's amazing guys um <laughs> and I'm grateful for my life as you say life is short but I'm grateful for the opportunities I've had um this year has been a tricky year for so many people but um myself included but there's been some real gems that have happened since uh, during 2020 for me that I'm incredibly grateful for I'm grateful for my family I'm grateful for my friends um and I'm grateful for for life so yeah that's what I'm grateful for well that was the lovely Lydia from series one she returned to host one year of bereavement room she certainly has kick-started the party by asking excellent questions amazing hosting skills but also I just want to say I'm really crap at taking a compliment uh, she did say some amazing things about me I didn't pay her just so that you all know but it is that I am rubbish at taking a compliment but Lydia I just want you to, want you to know I'm, I'm so grateful thank you so much for contributing and returning to the room a room where there is so much love 
Which now kind of brings me to the second half of today's little birthday party. And I apologize in advance for any shouting, screaming, laughter. Uh, the second half of today's birthday celebrations is hosted by Nick Watt, so I will put any blame and onus on him. As always, thank you so much for listening. Okay, right then. This is going to be fun. Me interviewing you. I've never interviewed anybody, so this is going to be my like Jeremy Paxman moment. So I'm excited. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it, man. On a Letterman show. If I was going to go on one, I think I'd quite like to go on uh, Stephen Colbert. He seems like a nice guy, and mm-hmm. all Seth Meyers. They seem like decent people. They seem like people I could get on with. I like the guy, I can't remember his name, but he used to, It's Your Life. Oh yeah, I know who you're talking about, that was a good show. See, that's what I'm saying, man, that's the era of old souls, that's the, I love that show, I thought it was so nice, like, it's, when they gave him, like, the red book and shit. Yeah, 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 that one. I was watching, I watched one ages ago, actually, on YouTube, it's with Muhammad Ali, and he's flipping, like, losing his mind, because... Oh yeah, he was on there, I watched that, yeah. It was so, it was so funny, because he doesn't know that he's going on the show, and he's like, oh, I always used to watch it, and he walks into the audience, and he just freaks out, and just walks back out, and comes back out, and he's just like this is ridiculous I, yeah. I knew something was going on my manager was telling me you have to be here at a very specific time at this that, and the other i thought it was a nice i thought it was such a nice show you watch us talk of, listen you watch us talk about it now and you watch them fucking bring it back now i guarantee it's just gonna happen you know something i might just bring it back <laughs> <laughs> it, it was such a good show nobody it talks was, like that anymore was, oh i really enjoyed it man i thought it was really sweet it was really really sweet it's your Um, life yeah that's what it was called it's your life yeah it's your life it was good hello um i am hosting the bereavement room on behalf of my good friend kelsuma ali so thank you so much for bringing me back into the bereavement room so as carl would have suggested or said beforehand my name is nikwith i'm the co-founder of the delicate mind uh, last december i think it was that you and i met was it last december cal we were talking before this um it was in November, actually, because do you remember we were talking about Halloween? Ah, uh, yeah. Wait, I was going to swear, but I want to make sure I try and keep it you more You can clear. swear. I know I can, but I wanted to keep it a little <laughs> bit more clear, to be honest with you. But, so, Carl, I got in touch through November. So, obviously, through the amazingness that is the internet, we managed to connect to one another. And I saw that you were posting about something called the BAME podcast, or it was like, it, was, it wasn't the... Okay. Death Cafe. So it wasn't quite the bereavement room just yet, but it was like working itself up towards it. And I came across it. And during this time, I would just experience my loss, which you can go back and listen to the previous episode in as well. And I thought this seems like a really excellent idea. And my issue, I say issue, but my approach has always been to look out for good things and to get involved with them. And it seemed like a really good idea. And then me and Carl got in touch with one another. And I thought, well, she's a good vibe. She seems like someone I can speak to, someone I can be open to as well. And then obviously back and forth, we were exchanging emails and then messages. And then eventually it came up to the date in December in which we did the event. Was it? No, no, it was November. God, I'm so off my time. So we started doing our podcast. And during that time, and this is just a reflection of my experience, I was really, really sincerely grateful for the space. I remember on the day, I didn't feel like it's something that I wanted to do. I knew that it's important to honour my commitments because I think if you put yourself out to something, you should do it. 
And I remember I had just had a bit of a, an argument with my partner at the time. I wasn't feeling so great mentally, but I thought, no, this is important. I've set myself up for this. Let me go in and let me give it my energy. And I was really, really grateful for the experience to go back and reflect upon um, my loss. I think it's really important to have these kinds of spaces because it allows you for itself of self-reflection. And as somebody who is working in and works in the field of mental health, I recognize how important it is to actually self-reflect, look at your behaviors and look at your actions and look at all of the experiences of life and how they've affected you and shaped you and tailored you and made you as to who you are. Because having a better understanding of yourself allows you to move forward from patterns of behavior that can harm us. I know every single one of us here can probably relate to patterns of behavior that we all follow. And I will hold my hand up too and say that I do. Nobody is a perfect and infallible person. And so self-reflection is one of the biggest and best ways to make you recognize, well, how does this thing and how does this pattern show up in my life and how do I be better from it? So I was really, truly, so sincerely grateful for the experience. And my personal highlight from it as well was obviously meeting you, Carl, and we've developed, a, I would say, a very good friendship since this time as well. Absolutely. And it, and it was my uh, very good friend who, from start to finish, listened to the podcast and he messaged me to say, Nikwa, I'm just amazed with what you've done and what you've said. And it felt good. It felt like it was cool. Someone listened to something and got something from it because everybody has an opinion i know that we were talking about this earlier just before we started on social media you can be so quick to be reactive and say anything mm. but you need to be mindful of your words because they're powerful they carry vibrations they carry essence and they change and affect how people feel so with that being said uh, we're going to get straight into it so thank you so much again that's my reflection on being on part of the bereavement room so i've got a series of questions that i'm going to go through with you as well and i want to hear your perspective and your opinions because this is me interviewing you so first <laughs> of all first and foremost i'm just going to say that obviously as your supporter and your friend i'm really sincerely so proud of you it's been amazing to see how the bereavement room has grown from a very small idea to having absolutely no mainstream support and i want to emphasize that this is completely grassroots that what you've done it's been completely off your own back hours and hours of editing which i'm very familiar with with you doing and having no mainstream support to moving on to having over 7,000 downloads on a worldwide basis i think that is amazing that you've got listeners all over the world give it sorry where exactly are there that people are listening in because i really think that's incredible that you've managed to do this and it's not a case of plugging you just for my own interest where have you managed to have people hear you from <laughs> so yeah i mean it's one year of bereavement and mm. a massive thank you for that uh, welcome um yeah we do have a worldwide listen so there's people in brazil peru most of europe like portugal <laughs> spain italy uh we even have a listener in taiwan so wow. it's it's just wide it's i i mean it's not every single country but of it's course. most it's mm. there's probably a listener in every continent <laughs> i think that's incredible honestly when you can put something out into the world and people can respond to it all over i'm particularly interested in peru peru is actually a place that i've really wanted to go visit Same. so that is amazing, to be honest with yeah. you. So I appreciate uh, listener, if you're listening, thank you. Thank you. Shout out to you. And shout out to everyone else who's listening as well all over the world. But the Peru one, you got my heart because that's where I want to go to. Um, one other thing that I think is a really cool story that I want to share with everybody is that when you were obviously starting everything up, you started to get people on Instagram who were obviously viewing your stories. And 
one of the people who viewed your story is, is uh, an artist that you and I quite follow and spoken about in quite depth. It was Hall of Notes. And it was a Yay. very strange time. Talk a little bit more about that, because I remember when that was happening, and I thought it was so funny that that was something that happened. Because it was initially the band, and then it was, I think it was at Hall, or was it Oates who saw it? So it was at the beginning of lockdown, right? Mm. So it mm. was uh, Hall and Oates, the official Instagram page. Mm-hmm. And actually, it was your story that I had reposted. Oh. Oh. So they viewed <laughs> yours first, and then they viewed a quotation following that okay so it was the band first but then daryl hall himself (laughs) (laughs) you know what would be so funny if like if he's one of your listeners from america so daryl hall if you're listening this is just a shout out to say that we appreciate you and we appreciate your music as well because we think you're (laughs) fantastic and also seal seal also viewed one of your stories which i think is hilarious because i only really know him from kiss from a rose which is a quality song to be honest with you but number one for um, ages yeah, it was, wasn't it? It came out, it was for the Batman Forever um, soundtrack as well, which is, yeah, it came out for the Batman, I, I like my Batman as well, so it came out for the Batman Forever soundtrack. So obviously, there's been this incredible support that people have gifted to you. I know that people talk about uh, gifting you with food and gifts and letters, which I think is really, really powerful. The fact that people sending you letters to say that just how much they've responded to what you're doing isn't a small thing and I think it's definitely something which I know that we've spoken about obviously away from here which you really are grateful for and you appreciate Um, and I don't need to put these words in your mouth because I know that you do but moving on from this which I think is really important is we went back just now to talk about obviously having absolutely no mainstream support and I know that this year you did get a level of mainstream support. It was the Women's Health magazine who featured the bereavement room. But you and I, again, we spoke about it and it wasn't something you were completely happy with and comfortable with. And I just want to hear your story and hear your space and understand as to why that was. So, Cal, I think I've spoken way too much. I want to hear from you. So, for context, yeah, I think, you know, I've had a lot of wins. The whole entire BR family has in terms of achievements. But with Women's Health Magazine, I just want to give a bit of context. This is by no means me being difficult or mean or anything like that at all. That's not my intention. Mm. Bereavement Room addresses systemic racism. It addresses structural issues. We've had guests come on and talk about those experiences, whether it was at university or healthcare or the workplace, whatever it is, we address those issues. Now with Women's Health Magazine, yes, they gave me a bit of coverage alongside some of the other grief podcasters and influencers in the space. However, I wasn't too happy because the description, you know, they never called me. They didn't contact me to confirm the description, the way they described the podcast. So that was one thing that I couldn't quite get my head around. They just kind of made up their own description of what the podcast is. I think they said something along the lines of, we uniquely grieve as POC. So we Mm -hmm. are othered a little bit. Um, And then the other issue was they didn't even mention my name. So they mentioned all the other founders. (laughs) And they didn't even bother mentioning my name. I was thinking, can you not spell my name, Molly, Polly, <laughs> Annabelle, whatever your bloody name is? Oh, is, no. is my name difficult for you to spell and pronounce? <laughs> and, you know, I, I politely said to her, I contacted her, I, I found out who the journalist was. Of course, it's a Russell Group educated 
you know, bog standard white Polly Molly Annabelle. And I said to her, like, Molly, could you please um, update the description? Because I don't I don't want people to think that we, you know, I don't want to be othered like this. We are not uniquely grieving. Um, this is just the perspective of the diaspora. And there are many layers in the onion of grief that are not addressed in these mainstream channels and platforms. And it just came back with a bit of defense. Like, she said, well, do you want me to remove it? Should I just remove it? That's the first thing she said. And I was like, well, I'm not asking you to remove it. I'm thankful you've covered it. But if you could just update the description, put my name as the founder. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I just felt that that was, I think that's just the makeup of these magazines and their audience, perhaps. And it's by no means me being ungrateful. But I question whether if that journalist was a black woman mm-hmm. or a South Asian man, would mm-hmm. that description sounded different? Would my name have been listed like everybody else's names I kind Mm. of I question these things Mm. um and I guess you know she did update it in the end but there was a bit of to and fro and perhaps she wasn't happy that I had requested that she do that but I wasn't happy that she just her first solution was well I'll just remove you off the coverage we're like a really tiny indie podcast like we don't Mm. have any mainstream support we really we, we really need it so so the least she could have just done was being like, yeah, you know, I appreciate I've got this wrong. Let me call you up. Let me ring you. Let's have a conversation. But there was there was just none of that. It was met with defense. And then eventually, I think she just I think she unfollowed me around the time that I posted. <laughs> <laughs> I did get unfollowed. I'm not, you know, I know everybody loves Bereavement Room. Bereavement Room, everybody loves it. It's a movie that everybody loves where we don't win any accolades. Mm. However, I'm also not the most popular person in this space because I do speak out about things that are said out loud that people think, but they're mm. just too scared to say out loud. And so sometimes that does make me unpopular. So she did unfollow me, I think, around the time I said, although the NHS is free, it doesn't mean it's free of disparities and inequalities. No, I agree. And from there on, I just lost quite a few people and she was one of them. So if Molly or Polly is listening, this wasn't (laughs) me being, look, I'm not being you know difficult but I really care about bereavement room I care about the guests I care about how we're being you know the narrative and how we're being portrayed and I just felt like the description was all off and it was really quite disappointing but that should have been our biggest win but it just isn't for me I think the biggest achievement is Hall and Oates yes yes Uh, no absolutely um and i think i just wanted to touch on something that you said bereavement room is a very obviously i said relatively small indie podcast because all of this has came from yourself this is something that you're doing and it's very easy to exist in the age and space that we are in where people can see perceptions of wins on social media such as obviously women's health magazine which is a which is an incredible achievement and not something that i know you're not grateful for but there's a way to go about these things and the way for them to be understood and perceived mm. and seen i think that's really really important and i know you very well so i know that this comes from a place of care and concern so it isn't a case of just being difficult and I definitely think that I really was very interested in what you were talking about just now in the sense of how we were othered and what I'm interested in actually and this is going a little bit off topic but it's a case of how we've spoken about orientalism and obviously how 
different cultures are perceived and understood and seen. So how do you think that we as the diaspora, our experiences of grief are understood? Because I know that this is what the bereavement room was about. I know this is one your focus to show that diverse cultural tapestry of experience. But what do you think are the problems with mainstream services about how they perceive and understand how we grieve? Because obviously, coming from the black community, the South Asian community, the East Asian community, it's always going to be different. So there's not one universal experience. No. What's your perspective on the otherization of grief and mainstream service? Because obviously you have had a lot of exposure to mainstream grief services as well. So mm. what is your understanding of it? What if you I suppose what's your praises and what's your criticisms of it? I would like to know. Yeah, uh, so that's a really great question. And it's just, mm. as you said, it's not understood. We aren't understood. That's how the mainstream understands us. We're not understood and we are probably misunderstood. Mm. The issue is that it's not an inclusive space. Mm. If you were to get statistics from bereavement charities about what the reach is in, dare I say it, BAME, the label BAME communities, mm -hmm. it's going to be something very, very small. Um, in comparison to our white counterparts in terms of who's getting support and who isn't and how well we're understood. The issue really is that they just need to start bringing us into the mainstream mm -hmm. so that they can get a better understanding of what the issues are in our communities, how they can best support us, and maybe also sack their entire workforce, which is predominantly white. Charities mm -hmm. are. You know, you've got movements like Charities So White that are challenging that. Mm -hmm. So a lot of it is about the fact that they don't know how to support us, actually. They don't really know about certain nuances in our communities. We're, mm. not, all, we're not all the same. You Absolutely. Know? Uh, things that happen in uh, various black communities versus various South Asian communities, of which there are many, mm -hmm. um, they will vary. It will vary on the family system, faith, culture, mm. and also the narrative of the bereavement. Mm. Um and it's just quite sad that I feel those mainstream charities or those educators, they just haven't cottoned on to that fact yet. Mm -hmm. um, mm. And I, I feel like there's a lot of work to be done because while they're not doing the work and they're not being inclusive, we're just going to set up our own spaces that are welcome of black and brown communities like you have done with Delicate Mind. There's just, you know, there's going to be so much more of that and that's great. But it also kind of means, well, who is the mainstream supporting? They're the ones that get all the funding, not mm. like yourself, the delicate mind and bereavement room and grassroots like Grenfell United. Mm. We're, we're not getting the funding like they are. So there are just so many issues. And I just hope that the podcast has sort of addressed some of those issues. And also, of course, you know, individual experiences, which is what led me to creating the podcast in the first place I had terrible experiences in the therapeutic spaces and the clinical encounter which is why I grilled you all so much <laughs> you know and it wasn't me being invasive or anything like that or nosy I just really needed to know what your experience was like to find out where the issues are and what we need to do to rectify them Mm, mm, definitely 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 i really resonated with everything that you were saying to be completely honest with you and just to touch upon what you said earlier about i think the otherization of how we're seen and experienced i've noticed and i believe that a lot of these spaces are being set up because we tend to see that the mainstream services are failing and that isn't to say that their intentions aren't well intentioned and that isn't mm -hmm. to say that you have allies within those platforms and spaces because 
I I am very much comfortable, and I know from my own life experiences that we do. But that isn't to say that work needs to be done and continues to be done as well. And obviously, support goes only so far by words, right? But you need actions. You do need those material resources to help you deal with these issues. And it isn't just a case of people want to get paid for something. is they want to make something as a long-term difference. These are the structural inequalities and the structural problems that exist, which have caused Places like you and the Delicate Mind, Grenfell United and Charities of what to have to exist. They wouldn't exist if there wasn't a necessity or a need for them. And the whole purpose of any space or any charity or anything like this is effectively to make yourself non-existent, right? Is to deal with the problem that you're trying that you recognize that you see through your lived experiences and through other people resonating with what you're saying as well. So I hear you and I feel everything you're saying and God love you and give you continuous support and blessings with everything you're doing as well. So my next question that I'm going to move on to with you as well is so obviously it's a year on from bereavement rooms as to when you started. So you've had a lot of experiences and a lot of learning from this as well. So it would have meant that you, uh, you, you're an old dog at the game. You know what you're talking about. We're still fairly new to everything, but you've been in it for a while now, right? Mm-hmm. So to anyone who's listening, who wants to get into the podcast space, I want to ask you, what are your learnings that you've had from setting up the bereavement room, the challenges you've had from it, the excitement that you've got from it, and any teachings that you want to give to people? Do you have any words of wisdom to anybody who wants to set a podcast up for? And one thing that I would say is make sure it's purposeful to know the reasoning behind why you're setting something up. Otherwise, I think it can teeter off a little bit, but you're the boss, you know what you're talking about. So please hold the space and tell people what you know. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm by no means an expert. (laughs) (laughs) You're better than I am. You're the boss, man. (laughs) But, you know, everything is trial and error. And I think you do have to fail as well. You know, it's never going to be smooth and it's never going to be linear. Bereavement room was was never linear. It might seem like that on the outside, but it wasn't a linear process at all. I think the advice I would give in terms of podcasts is to your research you know there's a fantastic podcast group on Facebook uh go and join it there are lots of famous podcasters that are in that group people ask questions people are genuinely there to support you it doesn't matter how big or small your question is you know join groups join forums use Google I very much use the internet and I joined groups for all the things that I didn't understand like hosting sites you know RSS feeds Um, I spoke to other bloggers and influencers where I went to their meetups and their events and I said well what editing software do you use because there's so many there's Audacity there's Philomora there's the the guitar band thing if you use Mac you know there's there's loads of different platforms you know you can use Anchor you can use Podbean um, you know there's there's hundreds of platforms out there that it might seem overwhelming but you just have to kind of do the bit of research. If you can share that with someone, that's great. If you can get a mentor, that's even better. I think now is a good time to mention that before bereavement room even happened, I pitched the idea to a mentor that was giving pro bono work to BAME people. And I just needed it for a bit of confidence to know that my, as you said earlier, purpose mm. and having objective. I just needed to know my purpose and my objective for bereavement room I just needed somebody to witness and see that and kind of not validate it, but just kind of help me process that, yes, what I am doing 
does have purpose it is a good idea you know I should go with it and see what happens but I needed to pitch it to somebody Mm. And it and it needed to be with somebody outside of my circle. Mm. And she equally criticized it, but equally also said that it was so innovative and nobody else was doing that. And I kind of needed a little bit of a, you know, I'm on my own out here. Like <laughs> one man band. I needed a bit of confidence <laughs> from like someone who's good at mentoring, you know, that yeah. has years of mentoring experience. And I do believe in coaches and mentors, even if it's for a short time or even if it's just for a one-off idea. So yeah, I guess my tip is get a mentor if you can, get a coach. Um, you can get free ones. You just got to do your research if you can't afford it. Because I realise these things can get expensive. Mm-hmm. And also, do like whittle down your hosting sites. Don't just go with Anchor because everyone's going with Anchor, right? And this is not me like um, Anchor slandering. Anchor is a fantastic <laughs> platform. It's very easy to use. Um, but I personally don't use Anchor, and for me, I just needed something that was going to be easy on my eye and easy to maneuver and navigate because a I don't have a lot of time I've got a full-time job mm-hmm. and things just need to be quick like I just it needs to be efficient and people have different likes people are comfortable in different platforms um not everybody wants to use Podbean they do want to go to Anchor or one of the other platforms and that's okay and so I would say do your research write things down you know I tested and trialed a few platforms for anyone that wants to start podcasting you do need to test and trial a few different things to see how it works it it is a bit of a you know is a bit of a trial and error at times Mm. and and then for others you know when is a good time to start just start now (laughs) you you know if you decide six months later you don't like that platform that you're using it's not giving you the benefits that you need whether it's patron monetization statistics you can upgrade to the next level or you can just um merge it to a different you know a different platform you can do that most podcast platforms make it really easy for you to leave them so you can Mm. go somewhere else and move all of your episodes somewhere else without Mm. too much manual labor and I I realize everything I'm saying sounds a bit techy but it is a lot of research it is a lot of talking to people you do have to go to the groups you do have to go make those zoom calls you do have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations I have where I felt I'm probably not the most articulate person here but I need to ask these silly questions Mm. um and I have to put myself in these spaces and make myself a bit uncomfortable because otherwise how else are you going to learn right and you do need to fail a little bit I think my other biggest tip is being inclusive Mm. is actual fucking work Mm, mm, mm. people think that's easy and it doesn't you know these mainstreams are not very good at it because it Mm. is a lot of hard work And I've realized since doing BR, you know, you really do have to go to the meetups, you have to go to the groups, you have to go to the events, you have to have, like you and I have had numerous conversations, you do have to do that because people are trusting you with a deeply personal account of their life. Mm, Absolutely. You don't know me from Adam and you really do have to sit down with people and be your authentic self and as you said, purpose and share your own experiences and for me, you know, I just want to reiterate, being inclusive isn't easy. Mm. Um, you know, getting a worldwide reach, that didn't just happen. Mm. Bag. Stuff like mm. that doesn't happen easily. You have to really show yourself 
and you have to show up and you have to have those conversations and you really have to put yourself out there. And I think that I did that to the best of my ability that I could. Um, obviously, I haven't touched all corners of Earth and every community, <laughs> but I think I've pretty much done a lot, if I'm honest. You have, uh, and not just yet, but you will. You're only a year into it, to be honest with you, Cal. So I know that just continue doing what you're doing and you'll be guided to the right way. And there's a lot of wisdom, I think, just in what you said. I've heard and I've really resonated with a lot of the technical stuff and just generally being able to set something up. So you might have a rival podcast from me very soon, to be honest with you. <laughs> I've, got so, I've got so many. You know, my all of my former guests, yeah. Lydia, yeah. I'm not actually going to set one up. Her own up. <laughs> Lydia's setting one up as well so this is quite funny actually I feel like Lydia and yourself who have hosted this episode have got podcasts coming from around the corner well I'm you know like the irony of that like you're hosting this no, no, episode no, no, no. listen listen I'm not stepping on the game but I know nothing about it. like I said you're good at what you do and it's not for me but uh, you're wonderful at it and there's a reason people in my opinion, responded to what you're doing because you are being honest, you are being authentic, you're being raw, and you're being inclusive, not just as an agenda, but as your purpose, as something which is integral to what you're doing. And when people recognize it and see it, they feel it and they respond towards it. Fakes always get found out. It might take months, it might take years, it might take decades, but it always happens and it always does. So just continue doing what you're doing and stay purposeful. And that's advice that I would give to add on to everything you just said so my next question for you is that this is a little bit more introspective and a little bit more personal so you've obviously had a really long history working on bereavement so I know that that's what you do with your mainstream job as well you're nine to five and you do obviously within the bereavement room and I know that you read quite a lot about bereavement as well and I know the answer but I really think that a lot of the audience would be really interested in this why is bereavement something that you've been drawn to what is it about it that's drawn you to such a purposeful place to talk about these kinds of things and action in such a way so what is it that's drawn you to bereavement you know it's a really great question and um it's so personal to me in the sense that when I was your age, when I was in my 20s, you're in your 20s, right? I'm in my 20s. <laughs> yeah, lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just remember back then, you know, podcasts weren't so much of the thing. I mean, they were there. Um, so it was pre-social media. No one said to me, call a helpline. No one said to me, read this book. No one said, go to counselling. I my mum had died it was 10 years ago almost 10 years ago now and I've never felt so alone in my life in my 20s I just wasn't prepared I didn't have that education and it really just occurred to me that wow this is a fact of life this is inevitable death really changes your outlook on everything even as someone that was brought up muslim and perhaps that should have been in my awareness anyway and it was mm. i just i just think in your young adult years you know you want to go to parties you want to navigate life you want to reach your career goals faith is there religion is there but i just i think after my mum died that just changed me as a person like everything that I thought I knew I just didn't know mm. I I didn't I thought I knew everything in the world and I really didn't and it it changed 
my perspective and just who I spend my time with, how I keep my time. And of course, like there were lessons to be learned along the way with, you know, loss of friendships and poor family dynamics and, mm. um, you know, looking more into faith and of course, navigating systems that haven't been so great to me mm. that for me, it really was about my my personal experiences and that I realize as time has gone on with more bereavements, loss of my brother and my dad, that death is the end result. Like we're all going to die one day. The people that we love are going to pass away. It is inevitable. And we just need to have more open conversations with one another mm-hmm. and, and just listen. It was like, as you said in your episode, you know, the message that you gave to the community, listen, not to respond. That's something that I've always resonated with, whether I've seen it in a movie, like in The Joker, even he covers it. He's like, oh, you know, you people never listen. There is so much power in listening. Do not think that that isn't powerful. It, it really is. And I've learned over time that listening is key. Reflection is what helps you grow. Mm. And death is you know I don't know how else to put it but it is inevitable and it's a fact of life and my personal experiences have just made me I think more authentic in myself to want to hold space for people because guess what I didn't no one held space for me in my 20s I didn't have that if Mm. if I've got the skills and the ability to do that now I don't want anyone else in their 20s or even their 50s to go through what I went through when my mum died which was all I can say was very very isolating that's the only word I can use it was isolating very lonely and I you know it was a hard time in my life and I just if I can host a space where people can speak to somebody and have these open conversations and my work is done. I don't, you know, I don't need to win an Oscar for this, right? <laughs> <laughs> for God's sakes. I just want people to learn and I'll listen and learn. And, and that is it. And come on, we've all come together. Like we're like a massive family. And like, that's all I really care about because I never had that. And the fact that I can host that space and now have that is a really great thing. Honestly, man, I think it's really beautiful that you've managed to bring so many people together from so many different spaces and we're all united behind that one thread that mortality is something which is always going to catch up with every single one of us. And that isn't necessarily a morbid thing to say. I think that when you can master that and when you can understand that one day we will leave this world and potentially go somewhere else or just be simply laid to the earth, this is something that will happen to all of us. And I think that when you have a better and more comprehensive understanding of that, you show up more, you show up better, you appreciate the life experiences that you have, you make sure that the people around you are, like you said, right for you as well. You spend more time with those that you love so dearly because if if the only thing that we know is a guarantee is this time that we're given, then we should treat it like the gift that it is. And you're absolutely right that all of us are going to be impacted by bereavement at some point in our life. You might have many, 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 many years of happiness and all all that we can do as people is wish that for everybody. But the reality of how life goes is not always that way. And again, we spoke off, I say on camera because we're not on camera today, but we spoke about obviously how these experiences fundamentally shape you and change you. And it's within your power to decide 
what do I then do as a consequence of this thing happening to me? So you taking these experiences and again, putting purpose to your pain and putting it to something like this is wonderful. And that's why I think that people have responded so well to it. So I've got two more questions for you and they are as follows. So obviously you and I have disagreements over the word BAME. I personally think that it's not inherently, no, it's okay. It's not disrespectful disagreement. It's important to disagree with people, but I don't think it's inherently a bad thing. I think that as long as we can game it and use it to our own advantage and recognize that this is more than just the label of being a BAME person and what that means, it can be broken down and constructed for us to take ownership and leadership overall. Just because I think also the term person of color I find it in a very similar manner because being Caucasian is a colour as well, it might not be thought about so. And obviously your experiences of a person of, of colour predominantly are people like ourselves who've been through adverse experiences as consequences of our colour as well. So I even think the term BA me and person of colour is somewhat both problematic. But, oh, yeah. you know, this is me going to ask you this as well. That being said, so obviously as a person of colour woman who's been in the bereavement space, what have been some of your challenges circumnavigating this? Because obviously this is about lived experience. So, And I think the listeners would really benefit from hearing what have been your challenges as a person of colour woman being in a mainstream grief space. Mm. Many challenges. <laughs> Go ahead. This is your, this is your one year special, man. This is your time to let loose. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> Um, oh my gosh, where do I start? And I agree with you, BAME, POC, and oh, all the labels, right? There, there are problems with everything, but then there are, you know, pros and cons with everything. Because we do, we do need to unite in, in yeah. some sense. So we do sometimes need these labels as identifiers, but sometimes necessarily they're not exact identifiers because we're not all oppressed in the same way. Absolutely. Um. As a woman of colour, I use this term, I think in these mainstream spaces, particularly like therapeutic spaces, like the clinical encounter with a therapist, um, it's really, you know, the best way to describe it is a colleague of mine, uh, I think it was after my dad died, I said to her, I really need a Muslim therapist, right? because I got a lot of questions and sh and she couldn't get her head around why I needed like an Asian or a Muslim or a black counsellor and she goes why can't you just have a white therapist and I've heard that time and time again so this is what I hear in mainstream spaces all the time I mean when I set up my Deaf Cafe BAME with a mainstream bereavement charity that I don't want to name because they do do great things um, so I don't want to be mean, but they did say to me, you know, the trainer said to me, you're going to be excluding people by putting this BAME at the end. So, so these are the challenges that I do face all the time because they don't actually understand why we set these groups up, why we need to feel seen and witnessed. I don't, I don't think they understand the discrimination that we faced and how isolating it can be. It's just a number of issues, whether it's in the clinical encounter or whether you're working at a charity, it will be like, why do you need a white therapist? Why does it always come back to white? Why does it always come back to color? Well, who created POC and BAME? Mm. You know, these labels, where did they come from in the beginning anyway? We need to question those things. And they're so overused. And I just, for me in the mainstream spaces, it's really, 
hard it's also like a tokenism thing if you're gonna put in one like black woman from london and like one muslim guy from birmingham you know <laughs> the, the things that i've heard on my counseling course well i'm from birmingham and that's the most diverse city in the world so i can't be racist i don't see religion or color the amount of times i hear stuff like that i just think like are you stupid like <laughs> do you even know what you're saying like do you even know what you're saying you're like denying police brutality you're telling me you don't see a burqa walking down the road oh. don't even try that one with me <laughs> so it's just like these are the things that i have to put up with and uh, not just me but everyone you and everyone else right but it comes from a community where you just don't feel seen or witnessed in these mainstream spaces so it's just like I have a lot of struggles in these mainstream spaces to the point that I do get, I don't want to, you know, I, angry, the word angry can come off a bit. People don't like that. But to me, that just shows me my values and the fact that we need justice. and We really need more justice because what's being said and what's been going on is I've had enough. This has been going on long before we were born, you know, Malcolm X and prior Malcolm X and all these great figures that have talked about it and then died. It's just like, how much longer are we going to have to fight this fight to be heard? How much longer? Mm, mm, 100%. Uh, 100%. Honestly, I've got nothing to add to that except for I completely agree with everything that you've just said. Um, one thing I would be interested in pushing you on just a little bit, however, is your experience as a woman in the space of bereavement. How has that been for you? Because we've spoken about this a little bit before, about obviously the male experience of being in bereavement, especially from a Muslim background, is obviously when we have a janazah, so obviously that's the funeral. Quite often it's the men who go there and go to the funeral and they say their prayers and then they bury the, the dead and the women then have to come afterwards as well. So what are the challenges you've experienced as a woman in bereavement? Because I think it's important that we acknowledge that these things do exist and that isn't necessarily to say that inherently there's a right way or wrong way in the sense of breathing about it. But I know that you've had issues with it and I really think it's a space to give purpose to. So I would like to I'd like I would like to learn more about that, to be honest with you. And I'm sure the yeah. listeners would as well. Yeah. So um, when I had to talk about the fact that uh, I don't always I'm not always present at yes. my family members funerals beginning to end, that's always a bit of a shock in mainstream spaces yeah 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 uh they don't get that because obviously like conventional western style is celebratory from beginning to end you attend everything you know uh that doesn't always hasn't always happened in my family system i don't mm. want to speak for all muslims because we have had muslim women guests on our show like tasneem and henna who yeah, yeah. were bereaved as children and teenagers that did go to the burial of, of their parents of so we, we you know we all don't have the same uh, family belief systems but, but but me personally you know as a woman I would love to attend the burial just so I can have my goodbye mm. um, and just have my moment whether that's throwing a bit of dirt onto the coffin or just standing and just having a moment of reflection why can't we do that I, I can't understand why we hold on to these like I think it's a line from the Hadith and I need to research it more. But then, but then I went on Muslim, a Muslim, oh, I can't remember now. I might have been the Muslim Council. And they mm. do talk about bereavement and they say, you know, be careful to differentiate between religion and culture. 100%. 
and I feel like maybe in South Asian communities, some South Asian communities, I should say, maybe those lines are very, very blurred. And they're definitely very blurred in my family in the sense that, like, we have just, well, that's how we've always done it. And it's a given. And that's just how it is. And or what will the community say? Or, you know, because they're not used to seeing that, you know, at the very mm. women there shoveling the dirt. Mm-hmm. I just think as time goes on for me, like as a woman, I I would have really have liked to have had a moment where mm. it wasn't awkward. Mm. You know, when I, I, I defied all odds and I went to my brother's burial, but I stood at a distance and it was a bit awkward. I'm going to be honest. And mm. um, people did kind of just look on, but I had to do that for me. I had to just say to myself, forget these lot. These are external hangers on. I just need to, this is something that I just need to see because it was a fine, you know, it's the finality of saying goodbye and that, yes, the permanence of death, you know, I can't understand why we hold on to this, like women homemakers go home and <laughs> do the rest like times have changed i'm sorry absolutely, absolutely. And, and and also men cry as well men wail as well oh, yes we do i'm speaking from experience yes we do <laughs> yeah and there's nothing wrong with that and so anyone that is listening to this that is saying well women wail or whatever please don't tell me that you don't and there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're not hitting yourself and harming yourself physically but actually you know i've read on the muslim council website or some other one similar to that it's okay to cry it's okay to shed tears but we really need to differentiate between religion and culture and I think where I'm from there's probably a lot of cultural nuances and I found that's quite similar in speaking to some of my other guests as well but you can see it varies depending on your belief family belief system and as a woman I would just like to go to the burial so I could just have my moment just like men do that you know you all have your moment you say your prayers and I would like to do the same. Why, why can't I? Am, am I? am I really asking for much? No, uh, you're not. As simple as that. There's no, I think, nuance in between, to be completely honest with you. Because when you have something so personal as a bereavement and as a loss, I think hell and earth should be moved to give a person the space for them to heal. And if fundamentally that is a part of your healing and will help a person, then it should be accustomed to be able to do so as well so you aren't asking for a lot please don't ever say that nor think that either as well and i think it's important and just to emphasize what you said that obviously this isn't a universal experience just because it's your experience as a woman doesn't mean it's everybody's experience as a woman as well but this is important i think to contextualize part of why the bereavement exists and your experiences around bereavement because all of us experience loss so differently and in so many different ways Mm, and, and and can i just say at the back of that um yeah. it, it it i was did feel very unsafe in the mainstream spaces when i had to explain that because mm. they were looking at me like i was the alien in the room they're like what you didn't mm. go to the burial oh what you didn't go to your dad's funeral and you feel bad as it is right because the person mm. you love has died mm. and, when, and when mainstream spaces can't hold space for you in that context they can't see that other communities grieve and do things differently or they have certain you know issues that need challenging that's really hard you know that's really hard I felt very isolated I didn't like that and I'm and I'm glad you know since hosting PR I've realized I'm not the only one Mm, no you're absolutely not alone and I think to be honest with you that touches upon something we spoke about earlier the idea of the orient so viewing people through a western lens so 
The idea that grief is a universal or one-based experience is a fallacy, it's a lie, it doesn't show up that way. So obviously when you're being looked at as the alien in the room, like, oh my God, you didn't get to go to the funeral and you didn't do this. I think what it does is it emphasizes the opinions of some people who think that cultures that we come from, obviously the South Asian diaspora, is repressive and oppressive as well, which isn't the case. There is, objectively, we have to be honest and say there are forms of repressions and structural repression that does exist, but that doesn't fundamentally mean that that's all that part of that culture is, just especially, I think, so often all you know about our community is the idea that you have cousin marriages and you have to listen to your uh, your husband and it's as simple as that when there's so much more nuance the first university in the world and i said this last time was created by a muslim woman in morocco so the system and style of learning came from female empowerment from female education mm -hmm. so i think it's really important that that nuance is given so being otherized and being seen through that lens is unfortunately a really common experience and I'm sure the listeners would actually really resonate with that as well. I'm going to ask you uh, two more things and I think you, these are a bit more nicer as well so it's a good way to end on a much more cheery note but I think this has been really informative and educational and I've always so really really enjoyed it. I love spending time with you, you know this as well. Oh, yeah. oh, you're a good vibe man, I've got a lot of time. I think, thank you, thank you, I try to be. Um, so my question is, you've had all of this success, obviously, again, some of it is perception because it's what people saw on the internet, but you've done so much, you've worked so hard and got a long may it continue for you, may goodness guide you with it as well. But where would you like Bereavement Room to be a year from now? What are your goals with it? What's your vision? Because I know you've been doing quite a lot in the background at the moment, but what do you see for it? Where do you want it to be come a year from now? So let's say we have another birthday special. You know, we're a year older, we're a year wiser. So much has gone on in the world. What's happened to your Bereavement Room? Where have you from now? What, what do you want from it? Um, well, these are kind of small dreams. Well, big dreams, small dreams. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm not going for world domination. I, <laughs> I just want people to understand the power of listening and reflection mm. without too much interjection from the other, because I don't believe we do enough of that in society. And if I can just keep drilling that home, how important that is, I'm, to be honest, I'll be forever grateful and blessed to be still sitting in this seat in a season three if I'm just doing that if we meet that target on the community fundraiser yes. and we get a season three if I can just continue with the listening the learning and the reflection that's all I can hope for because when people write letters to me they do say wow that very rarely happens we very rarely have these open conversations and that's mm -hmm. all I really want to continue to do I don't you know I'm not like trying to take over the world with a big brand or whatever or anything like that like I just want people to continue having open conversations because that means we live healthily and our mm -hmm. environment environment is more of a healthy environment and we're being more authentic within ourselves and kind to each other and that's all I can really hope for obviously outside of podcasting you know it would be nice to i don't know get a book deal <laughs> hey we're, yes. talking about this. Listen, yeah. we're both going to buy each other's books when it happens man yeah. that's going to be given yeah. but i think it's very noble and very humble of you actually to just have that continuing space and 
obviously I'm not sure as to when this would go out, but I want to make people be aware that you do have a fundraiser going at the moment. It's not a case of begging anything. It's just important to be like, if this is something that you get benefit and get value from, I know from my own accord, Cal gives so much of her time, energy and money her for her own self. So if this is something that you benefit from and something you want to give to anything, a pound, two pound, it doesn't matter. It all makes a difference and everybody is forever grateful for allowing this conversation to continue as well. So please do check that out as well. So my last thing, for you before we go into a little wrap up is what is it that you're most grateful for with bereavement room because you've done so much with it and it's been a wonderful and difficult journey and let's be honest because that's what these journeys tend to be but what is the thing that you're most grateful for about bereavement room the birth the idea that you've given to tell us because I want to know it's going to sound very simple is that okay? Simplicity is always the best way. The fact that it's inclusive. Mm. It really mm. is. It's an inclusive space. You've got people from across the diaspora here mm. sitting in these guest seats. And that's what I'm most grateful for, that people trusted me and they came out here and they took a very vulnerable seat. Because the guest seat, I'm going to be honest, I, I that's why I'm the host. <laughs> <laughs> The guest seat is a is a tough one to be in, but it's it can be very rewarding. It can be very healing. It can be a space just for you, and that's what I'm grateful for. The fact that it is so inclusive and that so many people listened. I never thought anybody would really listen, to be honest. <laughs> um, and I'm just grateful for that, really. The worldwide listen, the support that everyone's given. And mostly it's come from strangers. Yeah. The people in my network, that's the biggest thing I've learned. That actually a lot of this comes from people you don't even know. Mm -hmm. I know it's a strange thing to learn in this journey. And I can relate to, to what I've done with my own organisation as well. That Thankfully, I've have received some support and good support from people around me. But it's been very often people that I don't know or people that I've just met who really resonate and respond to what you're doing. Because I think they feel and understand the authenticity behind it as well. Um, just to wrap up, I will say the thing I'm most grateful for, to be honest with you, for the bereavement room is one that you set up this idea because it's a wonderful healing space. And as someone who's been both interviewed and also sat in the seat, I can attest to that as well. Second thing I'm probably most grateful for is the fact that I've met you. I'm really grateful for our friendship and I think you're such a good-hearted soul. We don't always agree with things, but it's always done out of respect and always done in politeness because there is that mutual respect and kindness and friendship between us and I'm really grateful for that. And thirdly, what I'm really, really grateful for is the fact that you've given this space to everybody to be a part of as well and I think it's a really wonderful and healing thing to be a part of and to have gifted and given to the world. So with that, I'm going to slowly wrap this up. Cal, I'm going to ask you, is there anything you want to say one year on from having set up the bereavement room to all your listeners and especially to the our, our favorite well my favorite listener the one in Peru <laughs> <laughs> oh yes <laughs> um firstly I just wanted to say Nick what thank you so much for taking the time to host one year of bereavement room to you and Lydia thank you so so much and I'm so appreciative of what we've created together um, and our friendship. And yeah, we don't always agree on things, but mostly, um, you know, we have become, I'd say, quite good friends. I'd say so too. Yeah, and uh, and it's the same with some of my other former guests as well. Uh, 
we all touch in and out. We check on in on each other and we are like a family. And I just want to say a massive thank you to all of my former guests that contributed a very deeply personal account of their life. Um, I do sit in a very privileged seat and yeah, I, I'll always be grateful for this experience. You don't get experiences like this in a bog standard nine to five in a corporate job or mm. anywhere else. This for me is like traveling, you know, <laughs> it's, it is, such a wonderful space and I don't think I would have got what I've gotten out of it I don't think any of the guests or listeners would if it wasn't for everyone that contributed and yeah just beyond grateful to Allah God the higher light whatever you want to call it <laughs> for just you know uh, keeping me here really well that's wonderful and I have nothing else to say except for thank you so much for your wisdom and your words and your kindness Well, that was Nick Watt. He returned from series one to host the second half of one year of bereavement from. Excellent hosting skills, mate. You asked some great questions and I'm glad that your first hosting experience was a good one. Uh, I bet you're going to get your own show now. And if you do get your own show, don't forget about me. Don't forget who I am, yeah? Because I'll hunt you down. It was so much fun. I hope you all got something out of today's episode. Um, I certainly had a lot of laughs and tears, and it was just so good to have Lydia and Nick Watt return. A massive round of applause to both of them. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you need to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram. The handle is at Bereavement Room. Until next time, take good care of yourself.